Hello and welcome to The Raw, your Sunderland Echo SAFC podcast, where after almost six months without a game, we're now just hours away from seeing Sunderland back in action as they head to Gateshead in a pre-season friendly. Today also saw the release of the League One fixtures for the 2020-21 season, with the Black Cats handed a test and start in the new campaign, and there continues to be a great deal of speculation around transfer targets, as Phil Partners and I's five more additions I'm Mark Donnelly and I'm joined by our Chief Football Writer, Phil Smith, to discuss all of this and more. How are you, Phil? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad, Phil's kind of, it's quite strange, so I've got used to the non-football football routine, so it's, uh, it feels quite odd to be getting slowly kind of limber enough back to the, back to the swing of things, as, well, as normal as it possibly can be, I suppose. And yeah, obviously Gateshead on the, on the horizon now, excited about that game, getting back to watch Sunderland after... It's been five months, I think, since that over five months since that Bristol Rovers game. Yeah, I think um, I think it'll be you know it'd be nice just to have some football to write about and talk about. Is obviously you know much of this period since the um, since the postponement has been felt like we've been discussing off the pitch matters for the most part, really. And of course, that's been because they were very important and they continue to be. And everybody knows there's nothing more important for Sunderland than the resolution of the ownership situation and how that develops but I think like everybody else you know you're just kind of missing that nuts and bolts of it really and having some tactics to talk about having some new signings to talk about um, having those debates about best teams and all that kind of thing um, hopefully see some youngsters in action as well you know it would be, be nice just to, to have that kind of balance I guess. We'll have a proper chat about the, the Gateshead game shortly but first of all we'll just focus on Today's big news, which obviously was the release of the 2020-21 the League One fixtures. Sunderland handed a, a fairly difficult start the season. They'll start on September the 12th with Bristol Rovers at home. Oxford away the following week in their first away game. And then the next three games against Peterborough, Charlton and, and Blackpool. Not the, the easiest start of the season, Phil. But we sat here this time last year and probably said the same when Sunderland had Oxford, Ipswich and Portsmouth as their first three games last season. And obviously they came through that run unbeaten. Well, they did, but the manager only lasted a few games after that. So um, I don't remember it feeling like we'd gone three games unbeaten at that point, to be honest. Um, especially the opening day of the season was, um, I think most people came away from that very, very, very deflated, even though, of course, Oxford would go on to have a very, very good season, of course. Um, but it does, that is, you know, it, it, it's interesting remembering that period because, as you say, it was a tough start last year and um, five points from three. To be fair, it wasn't a great return, and, and it's worth remembering as well. It'd been pretty average against both Oxford and especially Ipswich. I mean, that point against Ipswich was very, very, very fortunate. They were completely outplayed that day. So the concerns that people had at the time were very much legitimate. But you just remember what the mood had been like going into that season because the owners had obviously put up this hundred-point target and you know set this whole thing. We're going to walk the league, and well, they didn't say that, but they'd made it clear that. You know, this this year was about winning the league and all of that kind of thing. And then we had a summer that was just did not set that up at all, really, in terms of the uncertainty, the lack of activity, the late transfers, all that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it is interesting because you know Phil Partinson, yeah, maybe hasn't had the pressure put on him from above this summer as he did last time. Um, but yeah, there will be an expectation to start the season well because for all Phil Partinson had a very good spell after Christmas. Um, he also had a very poor spell before the postponement. And so I think everybody's still kind of trying to work out exactly what Phil Parkinson and Sunderland are. And 
Um, and so people will be looking to those early games of the season and the pressure has, has gone up because they're teams that, you know, will, we imagine, be promotion contenders come the end of the campaign. It's always an interesting day, fixture release day as well, because it brings out kind of so many emotions in people. You get some people who are very optimistic about things looking at it and some people who obviously will look at that start and be a little bit nervous, a little bit worried. We we did ask supporters today about their thoughts on Sunderland's hopes going into the season after the fixtures have been released. And I'll just read out a few of the replies we got via our, our WhatsApp service. So Michael in Southwick said, Parkinson needs to have the players prepared, drilled and ready to go from the first minute on the 12th of September. He knows what is needed to get out of this league. And if the players aren't prepared to graft and fight to get us out of this league, then they need to be shown the door. Uh, Josh in Leeds simply said he was nervous for the new season, which I think is a, a thought shared by quite a lot of people at the moment, especially, as you say, if it was so much unknown in terms of the ownership going on off the field. And then Mark in Chester the Street at the other end of the spectrum said, excited about the new season, hoping for more exciting signings, looking at the fixtures and hoping we're lifting the trophy at home to Northampton who, of course, is Sunderland's final game of the season at the Stadium of Light. Phil, what are your thoughts on the season? Because it's a very difficult season to read because there's there's so much uncertainty, not just at Sunderland, but at a lot of clubs. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel as if we're going to be starting a League One season in three weeks at the moment. But we are. We're going to be kicking off in three weeks. And it, it's a very, very difficult league to, to predict and, and read this year. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I think kind of your instinct at the moment is you're looking at teams who finished last season quite strongly and haven't had a huge amount of turnover and thinking that they're the clubs that, you know, you kind of fancy to start well. Um, Fleetwood come into that category, obviously, Oxford um, and Peterborough. But then even Peterborough, you feel as if an awful lot's going to hang on what happens with Ivan Tony and how quickly that happens. Um, so yeah, it, it is still does feel very, very uncertain. It doesn't feel like we've had that. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because we haven't played any football for six months, but it doesn't feel like we've had that long run into the season that you usually get. Um, so yeah, and there's just so many interesting dynamics of play the season. I, I look at Hull City, who have kind of been playing for you know quite recently, playing competitive action. They've signed quite well, so you think, well, you kind of fancy them to have a strong start of the season. Um, because you imagine they'd have a bit of an edge when it comes to fitness, but then will that catch up with them over Christmas when you know they've they haven't really had that break that the other clubs have had? So it's just a really really bizarre season. Wigan is a great example. I think in ordinary circumstances, well, in ordinary circumstances, they wouldn't have been relegated. But you'd be looking at what Wigan have done over a period of years, and I think they'd be favourites for promotion. We have absolutely no idea what kind of Wigan Athletic side is going to be put out at the start of the season and how long it will take them to get into gear. So. Yeah, it's a really, and throw Charlton Athletic in that category as well, who suddenly have got quite early in the season. Um, Charlton look like a bit of a mess at the moment, but, you know, Sunderland fans, I think, haven't seen Lee Boyer's teams last time in this division, obviously at Wembley as well, will rate them pretty highly. So the dynamics are really interesting. It's really hard to work it out. I, my instinct at the moment is there will be those teams who've had a relatively smooth transition through the last few months that will come out pretty well out of it. Um, are someone in that category-ish? Um, but clearly they're lacking they're lacking depth. Um, so yeah, it's and throw the salary cap in and all this kind of stuff. It's been such a strange build up to the season. Like you say, it doesn't it doesn't have that new season feeling because fans won't be allowed in and all these kind of things. Um, and I think everyone's kind of a little bit unsure as to what comes next. You mentioned Hull there as well, and obviously they're going to visit Sunderland on Boxing Day in League One. And we found out earlier this week that they'll also be visiting the Stadium of Light in the, the Carabao Cup. 
those ties are scheduled to take place on the 5th of September, but can move a little bit earlier if clubs want to move them because of international call-ups. It's, it's a tricky tie for something that in the first round of the competition. And if you were looking at wanting progression, Hull probably aren't the first team you'd have picked because, as you say, they've recruited really well. Greg Doherty, obviously from Rangers, a player who's previously been linked with Sunderland, signed there this week. They've retained a, a good number of their squad from the championship, added the likes of Richie Smallwood in there as well. And they look like they're going to be a decent team. And I guess it'll be a good barometer for Sunderland maybe without the pressure of League One, that Carabao Cup tie, to see where they are compared to a team that probably will be there or thereabouts coming into the season. Yeah, I actually think it's a really, really good draw for Sunderland. You know, that that game, I think it's quite clear, is going to be for everyone a little bit more of a last pre-season friendly. I mean, I think Sunderland are probably looking at it and going, actually, that progression is is really good in terms of, um, you know, they've got that game against Gateshead on Saturday. I would imagine they'll play at least one more before the season starts. Um, so to kind of have that week before that final game, um, you know, to, to have that whole test, I think, is a really good one. And it will be a good barometer because... You know, as I alluded to before, I've been full of a strange one, aren't they? Because you look at you look at clubs that are in a bit of turmoil off the pitch. You look at the fan discontent with the ownership. You never like to back teams for promotion in that kind of situation because it is quite rare. But then you balance that against the squad they've got, which is increasingly ve- looks very very strong. Um, so I think that that will be a great test. Um, you know, going into what is a difficult start of the season. But you know, it goes both ways as well, doesn't it? Because if you don't if you don't put on a good show, then that, those, you know, any concerns that fans have about the strength of the squad or what have you will be kind of be crystallised going into that opening week of the season. But I, I do think in terms of the pre-season progression, I think Sunderland have been quite pleased with that draw. Obviously, we know the early weeks of the season, including that cup game, are going to be played behind closed doors. October the 1st, still the, the target date for fans to come back. Sunderland's first game after that is away at Charlton Athletic on the 3rd of October. So currently the first game, based on the current plans that they could welcome back supporters, would be Blackpool on October the 10th. But that game falls on an international weekend. So it could be October the 20th, all being well. And if the current government guidance stays in place, when Sunderland fans can return to the stadium alight. And it is going to be strange, isn't it, those first few weeks of the season? Because a lot is made of Sunderland's support in League One and the terrific numbers they get. And it is a, a kind of undeniable advantage. And it's going to be interesting to see what effect that has in the, the early weeks of the season. Yeah, and it, and it just goes back to what we were saying about probably not having that kind of new season feeling. And that is a huge, huge part of it. Because, you know, you're looking at that, for example, that second week of the season away at Oxford, Sunderland would have taken a huge noisy following down there and the thing about that is it always creates such an intense atmosphere as we've spoken about a lot because you know the home the home crowd respond to that it turns it into such a big event I mean it does create a really kind of unique intense dynamic at those away games so it is going to be so different um and it will feel a little bit I imagine like we're going through the motions um you know especially at the start of the season I can't imagine the tempo and the quality is going to be right up there just because it's been so long since teams have played and they'll be feeling their way back into it and it's all going to be quite new and that adrenaline from the crowd won't quite be there. Um, so I, I can't say I'm I'm very pleased the football's coming back, but I'm not kind of expecting a, a vintage kind of first few weeks of the season because I do just think those dynamics are going to be very, very odd because this is new to League One clubs. You know, we didn't have that restart. The championship will probably be quite different because it will be feel like they're a team, but you know, it's going to be very, very strange for everyone. Um, and yeah, I imagine those those first few weeks will feel, feel a little bit like we're going through the motions, trying to you know wait wait for those fans to come back in. And before all of that, before League One starts, we've obviously still got 
pre-season. The only Sunderland game confirmed so far is this friendly at Gateshead tomorrow. Gateshead have already played a pre-season friendly. They drew 1-1 with Carlisle on Tuesday night. And it's going to be an interesting test of, of where Sunderland are at. And I guess it'll be an interesting game to see a number of things, in, you know, including obviously Aidan O'Brien and Bailey Wright. Tactically, is, is Phil Parkinson going to stick with that 3-4-3? And it might help us answer a lot of on-field questions that maybe fans have had about as you said before, what is Phil Parkinson Sunderland? And now he's had that pre-season. I guess it'll be really interesting to see what, if anything's changed. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine he'll probably take a bit of a mix and match approach tomorrow in terms of selection, what have you. I think it's probably a little bit early to be showing his hand in terms of um, exactly how you know who's kind of in his thoughts in terms of that first choice eleven for when the Hull and the and the Bristol Rovers games comes around, but you're right, just little things that I think we'll be looking just kind of see how it all works out. Will he stick with that 3 4 3? Where will Aidan O'Brien play? Is one that I'm sure everyone will be really interested to see. Is he going to play through the middle? Is he going to play one of those number 10s? It's going to be really interesting for us who watch Jack Diamond's progress in the under 23s to see him, as I'd imagine he'll get some minutes tomorrow in that kind of first team environment and see how he's kind of developed physically as well as as a footballer during that loan at Harrogate. So, yeah, it's going to be one of those where none of us are going to come away thinking, OK, this is Phil Parkinson's first choice 11 and this is how Sunderland are going to do the season. But it's about these little storylines that we'll be really interested to see. You know, Josh Scowen is someone who, bizarrely, we've barely seen any football of. We've seen 90 minutes of Bristol Rovers when the team put in one of their worst performances of the season. And this was a guy who you know, came with a decent reputation. So, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those days where it's more the kind of little storylines that we're kind of picking up on and, and looking ahead to the new campaign. But Gateshead should be decent opposition, really, shouldn't they? Because I, as you've said, they've played Carlisle and obviously they were in playoff action. Um, can only have been a month ago at most. Um, so that means that they should be pretty fit, you would imagine. So, yeah, OK, it's not League One or, or League Two level. Um, but you would imagine that should even things out a little bit because you would have thought they'd be a little bit further further down the line. You mentioned those little storylines there. And I guess an interesting one to, to watch over pre-season will be Will Grigg because because of where Sunderland find themselves, obviously with the salary cap and things, they aren't going to be able to go out and spend huge wages on bringing in a striker. So Will Grigg, therefore, I guess becomes a, a real option for Sunderland and, and someone that Phil Partinson will look at and you know, it's maybe not necessarily a clean slate, but there's a real opportunity for him in pre-season to, to show his worth. And it, it's been interesting looking at the videos and the photos that the club have put out that a lot of people have commented on the fact he maybe looked a little bit fitter, he looked a little bit sharper, and he's going to be a really interesting one to watch over pre-season. Yeah, and, and again, it's that kind of, you know, trying to fit Aidan O'Brien into that puzzle as well, because while Parkinson has kind of talked about there was runs he makes him behind and the different option he gives in terms of stretching the play, He's obviously also healed his versatility and he's talked up a lot what he did for Millwall in this league, basically playing as a left winger. So it kind of depends on how Parkinson sees him because I think we'd all be amazed, absolutely amazed, if Charlie White wasn't leading the line um, against Bristol Rovers on that opening day of the season. It's not a personal preference thing. It's just everything we've seen from Phil Parkinson since he took over suggests that he'll start the season with Charlie White because he just seems to be so central to the way he plays in terms of his play with back to goal. More important than anything else, and the thing he always talks up is that pressing off the ball. He think, clearly thinks Charlie White is, is is the person who executes his press instructions the best. So it's hard to see where Griggs starts the season, if, if that makes sense. But it's then about how can he potentially work his way work his way into those plans from there. And and you're right. I mean, you know, Sunderland don't have the luxury of kind of not using Will Griggs because, as you say, 
Um, you know, it, it's unlikely that they'd be able to find another League One home for him under the salary cap rules. Um, and it's also very unlikely they'll go out, go out and be able to spend a lot of money on a new striker because of the salary cap rules. So it kind of means that you're looking at this thinking, I think everybody's going to have to try and make this work. Um, but we, I think there needs probably needs to be, especially through the pre-season period, there needs to be a little bit of patience to see where Will's at because we all know he's not absolutely suited to the style and the shape. Um, and so, you know, I, we, we can't make any judgments on where he's at based on what he might or might not get against Gateshead or in a cup game or something like that because, you know, it's it's in those league games if he gets a proper opportunity that we'll really see where he's kind of at. Another player I'm really looking forward to seeing, and, and I said the same 12 months ago, is Elliot Embleton because we saw a lot of him in pre-season last year and during the early weeks of the season, then he dropped out, obviously had the injuries that meant he couldn't play under Phil Partington. But Phil Partington's spoke him up a lot. He's, you know, he said he was the kind of player that he thought could maybe deliver a little moment for Sunderland towards the end of the campaign. Obviously, because of what happened in the world, we didn't get an opportunity to see that. But it would be nice to see him get an opportunity in pre-season because there were times last year when Sunderland maybe looked as if they needed something a little bit different in the final third, a different option. And you would hope maybe he could be the man to provide that. Yeah, well, obviously, in, well, it wasn't this time last year. It was a bit earlier because of the way things are. But oh, yeah, I'm still thinking it's July. Yeah, during that pre-season campaign, you know, it seems a lifetime ago now, but that was when Jack Ross was playing a 3-4-3. Um, and Elliot Embleton was the best player in pre-season. Um, that trip to Portugal, he was the standout player in the games they played there. And to be honest, I don't think he, had a, he started the season badly at all. Um, I think he maybe was a little bit of a victim of how quickly the pressure escalated um, on the manager. I think that maybe affected Embleton's playing time a little bit, which is something we always talk a lot about and write a lot about, um, you know, is in terms of how you have that pathway. Um, but yeah, it, it is a make or break year for Elliot. There's absolutely no doubt about that because Elliot could go out and find a club tomorrow in League One or League Two because his reputation is that high because of what he did at Grimsby, because of what he's done in England youth teams. You know, he is not dependent on Sunderland, um, if that makes sense. So if it doesn't work out from this year, he's in the last year of his contract. I, I guess a little bit like Ethan, I just, Ethan Robson, that is, I, I just don't see him kind of sticking around that's not inside information I, I just think that's the reality of where he's at in his career so you're absolutely right that Parkinson has talked him up and I have no doubt that that's kind of legitimate but as I've said you know will it be different to last season in terms of concrete opportunities I think Gucci and Maguire obviously deserve those number 10 shirts at the start of the season because of the performances they put in over the last few months of the previous campaign but you're right I think I think it's make or break time for Elliot at Sunderland I really do and we'll be, we'll both be at the Gateshead game tomorrow. Obviously, you can follow live coverage at sunlandecho.com and at sunecho.safc on Twitter. We'll be providing the usual live blog analysis, post-match reaction, and much, much more across the weekend. And we can't have a podcast, Phil, without talking about transfers. It's obviously been a little bit quiet on the incoming front over the last couple of weeks. In that time, obviously, we've had the salary cap vote and, and clubs having to maybe rejig a little bit what they're doing, but with three weeks to go until the season, Sunderland's squad is looking rather on the thin side, and I think supporters are starting to get a, a little bit concerned. But those wheels are turning behind the scenes, and hopefully, we'll we'll see something positive soon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's perfectly reasonable to be concerned because at the moment, Sunderland would be struggling really to pull out an eighteen, and um, they would certainly be struggling to put out an eighteen that had a sufficient cover in all departments. 
Um, so two weeks out from the first competitive fixture, there's no point pretending that's an ideal situation. Um, and it's been another kind of, it's too early to say it's been another frustrating summer because they've done some good business and I'm sure they'll do more. Um, but, you know, it's been a, another summer defined by kind of takeover uncertainty. Even if it was the right decision, it might progress the club in the long run. I don't think anyone's going to pretend that losing your chief scout and your essential league director of football in the middle of the summer is ideal either. Um, so it has, it has not been a, an easy one. Um, and, and, and clearly the salary cap complicated things again. And that is, you know, that is a massive part of it because you're having to kind of put these pieces together in a puzzle to, to make every penny count. Um, but, it, you know, the, there is absolutely no doubt that, that some, some progress is needed because we're a manager who has preferred our system in the last few months has been 3-4-3 three, three, and he only really has three senior centre-backs. Um, one very, very, very important player at left wing back and no cover. Um, and if you lost Denver, you would lose quite a big outlet from the way you played last season. So, yeah, I think it's, um, th- you know, the time for progress is now, isn't it? There's no there's no doubt about that. One name that's been mentioned a lot in the last week's that of Remy Matthews, obviously something in the market for a goalkeeper. He's worked under Phil Partington at, at Bolton before and, he wouldn't be, you know, he'd be a good option for something that's been told a championship interest this summer. He's, he's experienced enough and, and he'd be a very, very good, uh, I don't want to say number two, because he probably would be battling Lee Burge for that number one spot. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point that you make. And, you know, I kind of all summer I've been been looking at as bringing in a number two for Lee Burge. And I still think Lee Burge will, will start the season. But you look at Remy Matthews and you think actually he's played in Phil Parkinson's championship team. And that makes you think, you know, is would he potentially be um, be looking at him as a number one? I don't know the answer to that question yet, but it, it really would be interesting to see. I think it would be very different, to example, if they brought in, you know, another name that everyone knows someone they've been interested in is, is um, Matthias Sarkic from Wolverhampton, who obviously was a young goalkeeper on loan at, at Livingston last year. You look at that and think, well, if he comes in, he seems like a fairly obvious number two to Lee Burge. Um, Remy Matthews slightly different you kind of wonder if he'd be coming in to play um, like I said I don't have the answer to that but it would be very interesting to see how it progressed and these are the kind of decisions that they're making in every position at the moment um, you know if, if if you sign Remy Matthews rather than Matthias Jasakic I would imagine that brings a little bit more of a wage commitment and that might change what you look at in the other position so this is what every calculation has been made at the moment well okay here are our options at left wing back if we bring that player in, what does that then mean for what we need to do at centre-back? Um, because as, as we've kind of calculated and talked about before, um, it is going to be every every penny is going to be used, I would imagine, of this cap. Um, so these are the kind of really interesting decisions that, that are being made and that we'll hopefully see more of in the next week. Um, but yeah, Remy Matthews, you know, it, it will be interesting to see. Like I say, I would imagine Lee Burge will get the chance to start the season, but that would be, that would be proper pressure, wouldn't it? Proper competition. Another name, obviously mentioned over the last fortnight or so, has been Morgan Feeney, uh, the former Everton defender who's training with Sunderland at the moment at the Academy of Light. Obviously, quite a young player, but with a good pedigree, having come through the system at Everton. And I guess crucially, is someone who, given his age, wouldn't count towards the salary or the squad cap now facing Sunderland. And do you think that's maybe where clubs are going to have to start looking now, and maybe being that little bit clever in terms of maybe recruiting some younger players so that they're not having their wages count towards the cap and then they've still got a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah, uh, you know, when the salary cap first came in, one of the first conversations I had was someone kind of saying, if you were to bet 
make a bet on promotion now, you would bet on the team with the largest number of good under 21s, under 21s that you'd hang your hat on to play senior football because those are the clubs that are going to be able to offer more money to over 21s. Um, and that is going to be a massive factor this season because if you have four players in your starting 11 who are under 21, then very clearly you're going to be the person who can go out and get that player who might have championship interest. You know, you're going to be the one with the advantage because you're going to have that little bit of extra leeway. And it's something we've talked about a lot that Sunderland and the ownership kind of have to take a bit of responsibility for that Sunderland should really be one of the teams who massively benefit from that, from having a Category 1 academy. But they but they don't, unfortunately. And, and that's one of the things I've kind of written this week is that maybe this salary cap, while it's not good for Sunderland and it doesn't work for Sunderland, maybe it presents them with a little bit of opportunity to rectify some of what's gone wrong in the last couple of years. Maybe there's an opportunity here to add some depth to your first team options while actually getting that under 23 group back to somewhere close to where it needs to be. Um, almost give it that kind of B team feel, if you like, bring in players who you think have a chance of pushing, particularly because you know you're going to have a lot of cup games. Players who they train a lot with the first team, who've got a genuine opportunity to apply some pressure, but can also just maybe bring a bit of depth and cover occasionally to that under-23 team that, that badly needs it. So no one's pretending the salary cap's a good thing. Um, I think Sunderland have to be honest with themselves about why it isn't as good as it could be for them in terms of those young players. And maybe it just presents a little bit of an opportunity to actually rectify that a little. We obviously heard Phil Parkinson talk at the towards the start of the, the summer about wanting to bring in kind of seven or eight players. He's, he's got two in an Aidan O'Brien and Bailey Wright. Do you think five still realistic given the, the time we've got? Obviously, we've still got until kind of middle of October for, for Sunderland to bring players in and Obviously, the squad is thin. Do you think five's about right for where Sunderland need to be? Yeah, I think four is absolutely essential. Um, I think it's absolutely essential you bring in another, goal, another goalkeeper. I think it's absolutely essential that you bring in two centre-halves. Um, I guess that would maybe depend on what kind of impression Brandon Taylor's made in pre-season. But if you're going to play with three at the back, which we expect him to, then I think you need six, really. You certainly need five. Um so, yeah, I think two centre-halves, for me, is still a must. If one of those is Morgan Feeney, because they've made a judgment that he, he can compete them, fair enough, but you, I would want to see another one. You also need a left-footer, because Sunderland potentially going to have five right-footed centre-backs, which is kind of fine in the sense that Tom Flanagan is obviously comfortable on the left and has played there a lot, but I think you want that option, don't you? Um, so, yeah, goalkeeper, two more centre-halves, and I think cover at left-back. They're your four absolute essentials. And then I think you would probably say as well that if you want to turn Sunderland into a proper top two challenger, you would like to see a striker come in and you would like to see a little bit more X-factor in midfield, that kind of creative player whose game it is to produce something a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, I would say that looking at it, I think it's an ap- four absolutely essential deals that you would be concerned if something didn't get done. And then I think there's probably two more where you want them to get done and you'll feel a lot better about their automatic promotion prospects if you do get them done. So here's hoping Sunderland can make a breakthrough soon. Thank you once again, Phil, for your time. And as we said before, we'll be at Gateshead tomorrow for Sunderland's first pre-season friendly with all the build-up, live action and reaction on sundandeco.com where we'll also have the latest news from the stadium alike throughout the week and indeed the rest of the summer as we build up to the new League One season on September the 12th. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.